You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. After winning the Conservative leadership race on Monday this week, Liz Truss is officially the United Kingdom's new Prime Minister. The former Foreign Secretary beat her main rival, former Finance Minister Rishi Sunak, by 81,326 votes to 60,399 after a two-month-long campaign. Truss is the fourth Conservative Prime Minister in six years and the third woman to serve as leader of the United Kingdom after Margaret Thatcher and Theresa May. Truss is the successor to Boris Johnson Johnson, who was forced to announce his resignation in July after months of scandals saw support for his administration drain away and ministers quit to force him out. In her acceptance speech given on Tuesday afternoon at 10 Downing Street, Truss acknowledged some of the obstacles she is inheriting as the UK's new Prime Minister, including severe global headwinds from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, as well as the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. On the topic of the new UK Prime Minister, I spoke to Dr David Jenkins, a United Kingdom-based lecturer in political theory from the University of Otago. Here is our conversation. Kia ora, David. Thank you for joining me. Um, David, could you tell us a little bit about Liz Truss? Who is she? Uh, what's her background? And, and how did she end up where she is as the new UK uh, PM? Uh, so she's from um, Oxford, uh, from a left-leaning family, um, by her own kind of admission. Um, and she talks about how, I mean, left of labor, she described them as. So um, she talks about how she used to go on um, nuclear disarmament campaigns with her parents. She even remembers shouting in a Scottish accent, Maggie, 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 oot, oot, oot. Um, she claims that she went to a kind of woke comprehensive school, which set um, low expectations for its students. So she's, she's kind of, she's politicized her education, I guess, in a sense, even though that's kind of been um, disputed by people that went there and, and uh, classmates as well. Uh, and then she kind of, so she started off as a Lib Dem. So, you know, further to the right as of her parents, but she was kind of president of Lib Dems at Oxford University, where she did PPE. She's on record at that time of kind of uh, wanting to abolish the monarchy and, and legalize weed. But she joined the Tories in kind of, uh, I think it was 1996, and she's seen a kind of fairly rapid rise. So she hasn't really come to prominence until quite recently, but um, she only spent two years as a backbencher before being promoted by Cameron to the um, to the cabinet. And from what I gather, the reason she was promoted was because she was perceived as a, as a quote-unquote excellent communicator. Now, what she meant, what kind of was understood, uh, what that was understood to mean was She's very good at um, laying down the party line. So Rory Stewart said that she told him, he's another British um, former MP, um, she told him that never say anything interesting. So she's very good at sticking to the party line. Mm. And, um, and that's kind of, I mean, you can tell that from, from her acceptance speech yesterday, she's, she's not a great orator. Mm. Um, in fact, I'd say she's a, a positively bad one. That seems quite in contrast to Boris Johnson, who knew how to talk, um, <laughs> in, in, to a degree, he he was ousted as the Tory leader. So they obviously want someone different. How does Liz Truss differ from 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 Johnson? So I would, I mean, if you if you saw her acceptance, one of the things that she did very well, another perhaps quality of hers, is how she's maybe able to read, in particular, the Tory terrain. So she wasn't one of the MPs, one of the sixty MPs that went against Boris Johnson. She what she didn't stick the knife in, which really did cost um, Sunak. I think um, his his kind of chance of becoming um, the prime minister. Mm. Um, and in her acceptance speech, she was very, you know, she, she said, um, you know, thank you to our friend uh, Boris Johnson. So I think part of her actually is kind of modeling herself as the, as the kind of continuity um, candidate. Um, 
So she's not popular with the Tory MPs. She, she was not a favourite at the beginning and is really only supported by a part of the membership. That's another, that's another aspect of her continuity. Is she's not kind of reached across the, the, the factional divides within the, in the party. She's, um, she has not, for instance, really given, I don't think she's given Rishi Sunak a, a, a higher ranking position. She didn't even offer Sunak a higher ranking position in the cabinet in the same way that um, Johnson failed to do when he beat Jeremy Hunt. So in terms of, in terms of her, the way she relates to the party and the political landscape, I think she's very much a, um, a kind of continuity candidate in some mm. respects. And I think she's presenting herself as such. But in terms of her policies, I mean, this is the thing. Johnson, what was Johnson? He kind of went, he lurched from one disaster to another. He didn't have an overarching picture of, you know, one, a narrative of how the country should be. The only narrative Johnson understands is the narrative of how to promote the brand Johnson. Mm. So that's all he had going for him. I think he was a kind of empty vessel. When it comes to um, Liz Truss, I think she is more kind of um, kind of died in the wall libertarian. So she's famous for writing, as uh, co-writing um, a pamphlet called Britannia Unchained, which is kind of a libertarian blueprint for how um, the UK should uh, should be kind of modelled. I think so. That expect a lot of um, policies in that direction. So a bonfire mm. of EU laws. Um, she's she's kind of reigniting the Brexit debate with that in mind. She's keen to grant drilling licenses to oil firms and gas firms. So I would say she is, it's, it's going to be more of the same in some respects, certainly more of the same in terms of the culture wars that she wants to play because she recognizes that that's a good, um, that's a good political football, a, a good political football and it's a yeah. good way to keep the membership on side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right. Um, but in terms of where her policies are going, you know, she's talked about tax cuts. She's talked about um, reducing the role of the state. She's, she's already, um, kind of on record as wanting to um, see workers' rights and rights to, um, the, the workers' rights to organize and protest to be undermined. So, yeah, expect, yeah, I expect s- more of this. Yeah. I saw w- one of the campaign placards or one of the um, mottos for her campaign was Liz Truss LT equals low taxes. Uh, oh, which, God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which was an interesting little soundbite. Um, so you brought it up before, but um, basically th- there is – Pretty wide. It seems like there's pretty widespread disagreement within the Conservative Party over this new leadership. Her, her victory over Rishi Sunak was actually won by the narrowest margin in any Conservative leadership election held this century. So, so what does that mean for the future of the Tories? Is um, is this is this d- disagreement within the party going to you know is it going to affect Parliament in any substantial way? Well. I would, I think precisely because the Tory party isn't really anything like, I mean, very few parties in the UK are member led, including, and maybe we'll talk about this later, Labour. So I think essentially they can just get on with, with business. And, um, I'm, I'm not sure the, the way in which these kind of fissures are going to play out. So she, um, isn't that popular. And the fact, interestingly, the chief whips, so the people who are in charge of, um, discipline within the party, they are, um, Sunak supporters, all three of them. Um, so we'll see, I guess. But I, I don't. I think the Tories are, you know, they know how to hold on to power. They, they are a, a party which is, um, which is, you know, is now used to to um, having power. I think for for you know for twelve years we've had Tory rule. So I think um, I don't know. I don't think so, to be honest. If if I'm honest, I just think that they're too they're too focused on retaining power, and I'll do whatever it takes to do that. Let's talk about the opposition. Where where did the Labour Party sit on 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 this on this new PM? Um, do they prefer her over Johnson in any way? Um, yes, yeah, so I, th- I mean, first of all, I think Labour are failing to uh, 
to capitalize on this situation. So there's an energy crisis. There is a, a, a party on the other side of the aisle, which is, you know, in, in, this, in the midst of climate cri- in the midst of a climate crisis and, and a cost of energy, a cost of living crisis. Um, they're just incapable of kind of pinning them down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of that's disheartening. But in terms of kind of, let's say, que- uh, prime minister's question times. Um, so when Starmer confronted um, Johnson, it was kind of it was very lo- loyally and very kind of uh, precise. Um, and. That didn't really work too well, I don't think, because, uh, you know, Johnson's just someone that can bluster his way through that. But when it comes to trust, given that she's not a particularly good orator, um, she might, it might be possible for Labour to kind of capitalise that within that particular context. Yeah. But to be honest, Labour this thus far has just been, you know, so there is a cost of living crisis. And the Labour Prime Minister, sorry, the Labour uh, leader has been telling his party, the members of his party, a socialist party, mind, at least that's the idea, not to go on picket lines and not to support um, workers who are striking against, you know, cuts to their wages in real terms. And I think this actually points to something you mentioned earlier, which is this, this the kind of divide between, on the one hand, the parliamentary part of a party and then the, the membership of a party. And I think the, the PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party, is genuinely scared um, that its members are too radical. Mm. Um, and that means that it's not really able to... To, to make a kind of uh, large-scale push against the Tories, and I think that's um, that's a shame. Uh, another thing you've already brought up, but um, the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, uh, uh, in, in many ways you can argue that Europe isn't in the healthiest shape it's ever been, and it's um, the UK. The UK economy is looking at a pretty lengthy recession in the years ahead, so trust isn't you know isn't inheriting a healthy uh, you know state of the nation. Do, do you think? You know, do you think she's well equipped in dealing with these obstacles? And can you actually outline more specifically what what the significant obstacles she she will face are? So, um, I mean, yeah, the cost of energy, cost of living crisis, a large part of which is the is the increasing costs of um, of people. So, you know, the, the upcoming winter months just heating their homes, and so um, she has promised. She's going to do something about that, but it's being very vague in terms of um, exactly what that amounts to. So, whether it will be an energy cap whether it will be a windfall tax on energy companies. She's promised to commission um, a group of experts, world-class experts, to come up with an idea. But it's interesting that when she was asked um, by Nick Robinson, a BBC journalist, um, you know, is there a single um, economist who supports the tax cuts that you're proposing? And she was able to name Patrick Minford, who is not, um, you know, I mean, he's an economist, but he's not a mainstream economist. And that was basically it. And so... Um, she doesn't have, you know, the orthodoxy on her side. She is, I guess, still playing to the galleries. And so, no, she, she hasn't, other than tax cuts, other than a kind of ideological um, aversion to the hand of the state, she doesn't really seem to be uh, providing much in the way of detail. And as it goes um, with respect to the, to the relationships with Europe, she was asked whether, you know, Emmanuel Macron was a friend or a foe, and she said the jury is out. She's, you know, Northern Ireland is rearing its head at the moment, the potential triggering of Article 16, um, which is escalating in a way that's kind of getting missed because of the, um, the war in Ukraine and the energy crisis. So that's you know, looming. She's promised a, a bonfire of EU laws, uh, I think 1,500 EU regulations that she's proposing to get rid of, which is, you know, is going to reignite the, the Brexit debacle. It's going to escalate tensions. It's, it's going to trigger sanctions potentially. So you say that you know we're in a, a poor health um, you know state of health i mean that's that's an understatement we're really we're we're approaching a kind of um 
the precipice in some respect. You briefly touched on diplomacy and mm-hmm. where the UK stands uh, in regards to other you know, nation states. My, my final question really is, you know, it could be very well at the bottom of anyone's priority list in UK Parliament, but what, what does a Tory government, uh, where, where will it stand with diplomatic relations in regards to New Zealand, Aotearoa? So, yeah, I, this, is, this will be harder to answer, I guess. I, my, my sense would be that, and, and you see this, she's kind of this Instagram politician and she loves taking pictures of herself with, with other heads of state to make it look like she's getting kind of deals done all over the shop. Um, and so she's very good at kind of um, manicuring her uh, image in the international arena actually when she was um, foreign secretary um, in order to kind of present herself as you know, someone who's serious, someone that gets stuff done. Um, so when it comes to New Zealand, I wonder if in, in terms of kind of constantly reigniting this kind of Brexit debate, um, whether she will use relations with, you know, Commonwealth countries like Australia, like New Zealand, in order to to demonstrate a kind of international, uh, the the international Great Britain, um, in spite of the fact that we have these um, kind of escalating um, diplomatic tensions with Europe. So as as a a mechanism for kind of for kind of tilting away from Europe within the international sphere. Mm. Mm. And 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 you know, is there any phone call planned with Jacinda Ardern at any? stage <laughs> i don't know that was that was one of the things um i was thinking like because this is priority who's going to be called first so i wonder if that would be you know let's avoid calling the europeans in order to kind of keep that debate nice and fiery yeah. and we'll we'll call in some of our uh, friends um in the commonwealth so potentially i don't know all the way down in the antipodes yeah only time will tell yeah. i guess david mm-hmm. uh thank you so much for joining me mate taking the time out of your day um it's just the beginning of the day for you um over in the uk but yeah thanks again mate for joining me i really appreciate it my pleasure that was a radio 191 fm podcast you can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast 